Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where we will be speaking only in Minionese for the next hour. My name is Alex. Or whatever, banana. <laughs> My name is Iris. <laughs> I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. I knew one of you would do that. I, I, uh, I almost did it, but I, I And it. today, we are talking about the animated film Despicable Me. We should have just committed. We should have just committed, honestly. <laughs> I'll pass. Directed by Chris Renaud and Pierre Coffin, the film premiered in June 2010 and was Illumination Studios' debut feature film. The story follows Gru, a supervillain who, after many failed plans to make him a name for himself, uh, as he prepares to steal the moon in order to get back into the supervillain limelight. His plan is put on standby, however, as three orphan girls wander into his life, and Gru ends up adopting them as part of his plan. Gru soon finds himself enjoying taking care of the girls, but when they come in the way of his supervillain goals, he must make a decision to become the greatest supervillain or to become their father. Despicable Me was a commercial success, grossing $543 million on a $69 million budget, Nice. And was met with positive reviews, with critics praising the voice acting, story, and 3D animation from the new studio. Wait, so so we get like uh, an anonymous stare for doing the minion joke that you suggested, but you get to say nice after the number 69? (laughs) Correct. I had to do it. It's contractual obligation. Uh, And as always, there will be spoilers. Alright, so it's been a while since I watched this movie. Uh, like I mentioned in the intro, this movie came out in 2010. So I, June 2010, so I was like 13 or 14 when this movie came out. But I remember watching this film like a good amount of times. Um, in the fact that I was like remembering the certain lines and moments when we were re-watching this film. And I remember liking it a lot as a kid. I thought it was pretty good humor, had a good story. Uh, it was all tied together by Steve Carell, who I literally did not know uh, did this, <laughs> did the voice acting until like a couple of years after the film uh, was released. I think when Despicable Me 2 came out, when I eventually watched that. Uh, but... Yeah, I remember really liking this film, and on a rewatch, uh, there are some nice things about it that I do want to highlight, especially the story and the progression that Gru has with these uh, three children that wander into his life. Uh, the some of the jokes are a little like kids humory to me at this point. But uh, I think that's just me getting older. I remember really loving it as a kid. And of course, we will probably have an entire section dedicated to uh, the Minions and their their journey through memedom. And also, I guess, this film's journey through memedom. Because this film shows up quite a lot in some of the memes that are still put around today. Maybe it's just because of Steve Carell's beautiful uh, accented voice acting. (laughs) Or perhaps it's the humor of the show. But yeah, I'd still say Despicable Me is a really solid film. Uh, a great kids film. I'd, I'd recommend showing this to like someone of any age while watching it. But yeah, I really do think this film has quite a lot going for it. 
Uh, but what about the rest of y'all? What are your experiences and first impressions of Despicable Me? So, <clears throat> the brain damage has come back. Because you never left. I, my I don't think left. this is a healthy like narrative for you to be establishing. <laughs> I understand the comedic appeal, but if you say it often enough times, you're going to start believing it. Yeah, probably. Um, when I was watching this movie a few hours ago, Michael, no, legitimately, I was watching the beginning of the movie, and I'm like, "Am I watching the right movie?" Oh no! <laughs> mainly, mainly just because I come, I. Y'all just watched this movie, right? Yes. The beginning of this movie is they're in freaking Egypt and there's and they're looking at the pyramids, right? And I, the whole thing is like, oh, the pyramids got stolen. And I was like, is this is this the movie? Like <laughs> I com- I was like, I have like, am I is this actually the beginning of this movie? Because I have no memory that this was the beginning of the movie, and literally the pyramid being stolen by Vector barely even shows up in the rest of the movie anyway so it's not even i remember any part of it it was so weird michael to Ma- start that michael please tell me you remembered at least the despicable me song okay yes i did remember the song i remember you singing on- that song uh yeah a lot well okay so i i'm pretty sure it was you uh you and me and then like another one of our friends we actually saw this in theater yeah i'm fairly confident and Mainly, I remember that because there were distinct lines in this movie that I remember us three potentially quoting unendingly. Um, like when Edith Edith gets the unicorn and it's like, it's, it's so fluffy. fluffy yeah. We said that to yeah. each other yeah, yeah, yeah. so often that it has gotten really annoying. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, coming back to this movie with the sort of memories that this movie has instilled in me only in a sort of like, it's not even nostalgic goggles. It's like meme goggles at this point. It's like, I only remember distinct lines and that's it. I remember none of the context of the movie. So rewatching it now, I think my best some summation of my feelings would just be, it's pretty solid. Especially for Illumination's first film. Like, if you think about it, in the context of 2010, right, there's the sort of, maybe not not even juggernauts, but there's obviously, like, Disney slash Pixar. They're, like, the sort of ginormous pillar of animations that's still going on, albeit in kind of a slump at this point, because they had kind of fallen off at this, er- at this era. And then you also have DreamWorks with their sort of, you know, huge animation things and, like, huge culture impact. And you have this new studio trying to just be like, we're here, we're going to try and do something. And like, for a first outing, I think it's actually pretty solid. They were able to get a lot of good cast for it. And as you said, Alex, the story is actually like pretty solid. And I there was like actually some good emotional moments that I'll get to later that actually got me a little bit. And I was like, wow, like I, I guess my memories of this movie basically had me thinking like oh i'm only gonna remember certain things it's not gonna be very good and then i guess that lowered my expectations to the fact that when i came in i was like oh it's actually pretty decent so i'm like presently surprised that i think it's almost as good as i remember it to be 
I want to first actually follow up on uh, the the point about the cast because the cast is bizarrely good. Like <laughs> yeah. Steve Carell, obviously the headliner. I mean, you've got Miranda Cosgrove of uh, Nickelodeon fame, right? You've got um, Russell Brand, like Jack McBrayer, who was on Thirty Rock, is in it. Will Arnett is a famous, uh, like a famous voice. Julie Andrews is in this movie. We all also, aware of Kristen that? Wiig, yeah, Kristen Wiig, Wiig before plays, Frozen yeah. came out. Yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's, it, wait, hold on, sorry, are you mixing up Kristen Wiig and Kristen Bell? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I just realized that. Well, I mean, Kristen Wiig was in this movie, it's just not. Kristen Bell, Kristen Wiig was was not in her. I thought you were the same person, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, um. So yeah, like a a really star-studded cast for sort of a first foray into, you know, animation. Um, I I watched this movie in theaters, and I'm not sure that I've seen it since uh, until, of course, you know, this last week. Um, And it's funny because so much of this movie has survived through memes. I don't know, you know, why this is such a memeable movie. I think just, you know, a lot of the stuff we watch in here, especially, you know, the mid- 2000s um you know 2010s sort of uh animated movies you know the heyday a lot of those are very memeable but i really didn't remember much beyond the memes beyond the you know oh i take the moon i shrink the moon i'm sitting on the toilet or uh you know this is garbage you actually like this um this movie is really heartfelt and I remembered that there, you know, it, like most of the sort of tension is around this, you know, developing of the relationship between, you know, uh, Gru and the kids. It's not an action movie. Like there are action scenes in it, but at its core, it is a it is a movie about family, you know, and about finding and making family. And it's just really fucking sweet at times. I like I, I like straight it was like tearing up at the the the. The bedtime store at the end and he goes back in Wait, shh, shh, shh. yeah we'll talk about that later <laughs> we'll talk about it okay fine but that's my favorite moment i guess if we're doing if, if i'm already if I'm stolen ahead. before we even got <laughs> I know, the segment. I'm sorry i'm a little all over the place because i'm emotional about this movie uh it's weird to me that this movie like ends up being so like wholesome and relatable and grew is like actually a great father like kind of i mean kind of not from the beginning but in some ways a great father from minute one and I love it. And I think uh, it has just this charm that I don't know that the franchise managed to recapture. Yeah, I'm not even sure I watched this in theaters personally. I did watch it at least once because um, I remember this movie, but I watched it again earlier today and have it fresh in my mind. And yeah, most of the same things I'll, I'll echo. Uh, I did want to, uh, Michael, you brought up a good point about how, like, you know, this is 2010, kind of the movies around this time. You obviously have the Juggernauts and Disney and Pixar, but they were kind of falling off. So I, I decided to look it up, what what movies came out in 2010. And we discussed one already, Megamind, which, you know, as we discussed, was kind of a sleeper a little bit, but, you know, pretty decent movie. How to Train Your Dragon, kind of the same deal. A little bit of a sleeper when it first came out, but, you know, very well appreciated uh, later on. And then Tangled, which I feel like is kind of... A little bit middling uh, compared to the rest of Disney's uh, pantheon there. So for this to be Illumination's first, you know, feature film, uh, it's pretty impressive. And I think, you know, there's the thing that I really wanted to highlight. And I guess, you know, I'll just do it now about this movie is that the style of Illumination for the for the for the humanoid characters is pretty much new. Like 
you have Gru with this really exaggerated upper torso, you know, with the wide shoulders and stuff. You have Vector with this, what is essentially a pot belly, even though he doesn't look like he should have one by his age. Like, the kind of, and, and of course, uh, what's his name? Uh, Perkins with his literal, like, like, gigantic you know he's like the he's like big boss yeah yeah basically yeah he's, he's like he's, he's like, like the square guy yeah yeah it's it's crazy how you know you know you think about it this is kind of the first time that that kind of really exaggerated style of animation has actually been a thing in in children's animated movies i mean i guess disney and pixar broadly stick to a lot of you know they they have the 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 textbook big disney eyes and the very expressive you know faces and stuff but they don't really go too crazy i think uh with their with their proportions that early um the other thing i wanted to say and this is specifically to your comment about the pyramid scene michael the way that looks to me is that it's literally illuminations like like first real animation pitch as like a thing to like showcase their animation style they took that and they decided to put it in the movie so that they could like pay oh, like homage to the fact that they. they oh, are, like, I see. I see what you're you saying. You see what I'm like, saying? Like it doesn't have anything else to do with the movie, and really, it doesn't establish anything besides the fact that Vector, you know, stole the pyramids. But you mentioned it doesn't appear in the rest of the movie. You just see it in the backdrop, well, painted blue. Okay, no, but to be fair, it does appear, right? It's yeah, it's it's, it's next to Vector's <laughs> but base. But it doesn't and he jumps do anything. Like, but you're right. It yeah, doesn't do anything. Yeah, it, like, you're right. I think. That is a good theory that it was like a technical showcase type thing. Yeah, like that's that's what it's called, a technical showcase. Yeah. And they just found a way to put it in and like, you know, I don't I don't uh, complain about it at all, but I think that it's very interesting to look at this from the animation studio's perspective, you know, Illumination putting out this this movie to compete with the Juggernauts Disney and Pixar and put out something that as you guys have already mentioned, really heartfelt, great story, great voice acting, excellent cast, you know, it's a very solid movie. For a debut, you know, for, for a studio debut. And honestly, you know, I haven't seen Despicable 2, 3, Despicable Me 2 or 3 or 4. I haven't seen the Minions movie. Of course not. I'm Has anyone here the... actually seen the Minions movie? Or are we just going to be shitting on it, like, via a third party? I, I have not seen it. it. Okay. I've seen the second Despicable Me. I think I'm not, I, so I'm, yeah, I'm not going to say that we shouldn't shit on the Minions movie because we absolutely should. It deserves to be absolutely eviscerated Wait, in the court. you've of... seen it. No, you've I have seen not. It? I have not. Oh, okay. But that's the point. None of us have seen it. Yeah. Like, just putting that out there. Well, it's good to I have know, like, all of our I actually, on the table. I actually just looked it up. I'm fairly confident that the Minions movie is Illumination's most profitable thing. Well, well I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised by that. Twice, right? It got like $1.2 in the box okay, office. That's apparently. actually pretty crazy. Um, but, like, they, they made the movie because Minions, you know, inexplicably, against all sense and all, like common decency became a car like a part of the zeitgeist right i mean yeah. you got like how many how many like terrible facebook memes you know shared by you know your your your, your church group mom <laughs> chaperones were made with minions in them Sounds what like I, we have a new movie to to watch. No, I'm not, yeah. watching, no. I'm not watching that movie. If any of you tries to bring the minion movie, I am vetoing it on the spot. What I will say is that, and and I'm like. I, I, somebody mentioned that we might have a minion section on this on this particular episode. I will say that you know before the quote unquote minion-dom of how they became big part of this franchise, I think they actually they 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 fill a pretty decent role in this particular movie. I think that they're pretty funny, honestly, and like 
yes, sometimes like they they as Alex mentioned, they appeal to the kind of childlike humor, the dumbass, you know, fucking like nonsense gibberish they spout, the you know, the physical humor of them punching each other when they do something stupid, but uh, they're pretty harmless, I think, in this movie, which is, I, you know, adds to its appeal, I think, overall. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of good things, I guess, to say about this movie. I wasn't really expecting that, uh, having not remembered it. Yeah, well, that le- that segues perfectly into favorite characters and moments, because I do agree with you, Marcus. Oh, uh, I might be stealing someone else's uh, favorite character. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> mine's already been stolen, so if you're going to say it a third time, that's it. <laughs> well... I, I do have to agree with you. I think the minions are my favorite characters of uh, this film because you're right. They haven't reached that uh, that annoying threshold yet because, yes, they're new in this movie. All the scenes that they're in are like just the right length. They're not too long. And the humor is like pretty funny sometimes. I remember bursting out laughing like every single time when the, the minion floats through the inexplicably yeah. open window. And uh, Dr. Nefario is just like, well, should have closed that earlier. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the minions in this movie just for like the little jokes that they have before... Illumination said, "Like, hey, we have something. It's kind of like the my leg. If if you go on go on yeah, YouTube yeah, yeah. and look up the SpongeBob like my leg joke compilation, you can you can see like when it was good when they weren't playing it just for the fact that like, hey, look, it's the my leg joke again, which is kind of like what they did with Minions. The Minions were just their own thing, but with subsequent Despicable Me iterations." They became, uh, they became like a weird reference that always had to be referenced in every single film. Like, hey, look, aren't these minions doing something very minion-y right now? Let's spend five minutes following them <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I really like them in this film. Um, they're like the perfect injection of humor. Uh, as for favorite scene, man, I feel like... There are quite a lot of good heartfelt scenes in this movie, but I will talk about the action scenes because the action scenes are pretty, they're pretty solid on their own, I feel like, especially anything with the shrink ray, Um, which brings me to, I think, my favorite action scene, which is uh, Gru and Vector's first dogfight, the one where they're uh, kind of fighting with it uh, in the air, and it I love the aesthetic between those two villains where Gru is like an older model spaceship with a metal B. You can see like the metal soldered onto each other, whereas Vector's in this like perfectly chrome or like white plastic spaceship. It's an iPhone. Let's just say it. It is an iPhone. Yep. That's fair. That's fair. But it really does hammer home like the old and the new and that shows in their their choice of weapons and fighting styles. But yeah, I really like all the little intricacies we see with these two villains, even though they are our only two villains. And I think the dogfight, like, really, really brings that out. Okay. We're going to talk about my favorite moment, and I know it's going to be ours as well, so I can leave some conversation for you. But mainly, just reiterating, it is the last uh, lullaby that Gru gives. It's called One Big Unicorn. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But you're going to read any of it. <laughs> oh, it's, it there's only like four stanzas. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm literally reading one stanza, which is like two lines. But 
And I, let me preface this by saying, this motherfucking poem slash lullaby gets me every single time. I don't get it. Like, I, again, uh, if you know me, if you have listened to this podcast before, it's very rare that I tear up or cry at a lot of things. This lullaby gets it and makes makes it happen for me. I don't know why. Um, the reason it does, I think, is this one stanza. So we're gonna we're gonna do this. So this is the third stanza, right? It says, "They made him laugh. They made him cry. He never should have said goodbye." And uh... coupled with the fact that visually they're separate pages so it's like it's it's i don't like i i I feel so weird talking about the genius of this four line poem (laughs) but it's like it's uh, that stanza right there is actually genius the way it's constructed is that it's actually like a uh uh a page turner well a page turner but it's a it's a it's a broken expectation it's like the the they made him laugh they made him cry like and something something else because that's how everything else has been going it's like following the same thought but the he never should have said goodbye is such like a tone shift shift. of everything before and then moving on to like all this shit and then it references the thing with the heart that the first lullaby said and i was like oh my god (laughs) um so yeah like we should like we should write like a doctoral thesis on the genius of this lullaby. Despicable me, yeah. Of despicable me, essentially. Yeah, this kid's book, right? Um, but yeah, I I don't know why I think this this lullaby just gets me, and so that's why it's my favorite scene. Uh, before I move on, my favorite character, really quick. Um, it's the girls actually. It's all three of the girls because they're really entertaining. Um, and also they have the most ridiculous names, right? Margot, Edith. And Agnes, are they from the sixties? What are these? <laughs> my my okay, my my headcanon that I came up with while watching this movie is that they were surrendered to Miss Hattie at the orphanage, like when they were very, very, very young, like infants. Yeah. And didn't, you know, know their own names, didn't have, you know, weren't old enough. Maybe, you know, they didn't know what their names were. Who knows what their circumstances are. But of course, you know, as we see Miss Hattie is like this miserable hag of a woman who like clearly doesn't like actively hates the kids and just has them around so she can like make them, you know, she's a like, I think um, Edith actually references Annie at one point. Like it's literally just Annie. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the the circumstances are and she just Miss Hattie just has them around so that she can make them do work and sell cookies and make her money. So my theory is that, you know, she gave them all these old lady names to be awful to them. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably fair. And I think Gru should have turned her into a hedgehog. <laughs> Understand. Um, all right, so I mentioned it earlier, and we talked about this. Uh, the lullaby is absolutely perfect. My particular favorite, like, turning point moment, and I, I have no, like, deeper meaning for this other than it just, like, yanked my heartstrings all the way out, uh, was at the end. You know, it's because, of course, it is the repeat of the first time he did the lullaby and sort of, like, one of this these big early moments of... Um, realizing that he like really has come to deeply love and care for these girls you know it's it's sort of the height of he's finally he's like fully in it you know it's like yes i love them and i want to be part of my family he looks how they've drawn themselves in the family tree and he loves that the first time he doesn't give them a good night kiss he's like okay no, no no it's too much for me but i love you good night right and that's when nefario comes in and is like i'm gonna get rid of them and he's like 
okay, I guess. The second time around, he comes back and he freaking does the kiss. The thing that got me was when, you know, he kisses uh, Agnes, he kisses Edith, he goes over to Margot, and she jumps up and hugs him and is like, I love you. And she was the one who's always, like, from the beginning, been the one who's, like, the realistic. She's, like, the the parent sibling of her two younger sisters, and she was the one who's realistic about, like, hey, this is not a safe environment, and why are you, like, why do you are dragging us around? And, like, you know, he doesn't actually love us. Like, she was the one who got it. She was the one who, you know, old beyond her years and understood. And now she's come back around, and he has proved to her the whole scene, or the tightrope between the two ships. Like, he has proved to her that like he's really there for her like and she uh, it's so good and I am such a fucking sap I am such a fucking sucker for like sentimentality like this it is so saturated sentimentality and yet it's just ugh, gooey shit I love it so much um so that's my favorite scene uh favorite character it, it feels basic to just say Gru I'm saying Gru specifically uh, for one reason, and that I mentioned earlier, you know, he's like, in some ways, very much not, but in some ways, he kind of is like a good parent from minute one. And when I said that, what I meant was, what I really noticed about him is that from minute one, he is engaging the kids on their level, like in their language, in their set of rules, right? Not once does he ever say, because I, you know, like... I'm not going to answer your question. Just do this because I said so. Goodbye. Right? Like, you know, can I, uh, can we order pizza? Yes, yes, okay. Just, I'm busy right now. Can I have stuffed crust? Okay, well, I'm going to stuff your crust. Fine. You can have stuffed crust pizza. Just go in the other, you know. But he answers their questions, even while being brusque with them. Uh, like, I don't remember all the, the questions that Agnes asks in the, the very first time. But he talks to her. He's answering her questions. He's taking it seriously. Not once is he ever like, okay, I'm going to, like just completely ignore you you know he I, I think he just doesn't like it, it reads in that he doesn't have the social skills to know that he can just be like i'm not going to talk to you like he just doesn't understand that he can just walk away and they can't really do anything but like he, i don't know he he engages with them he he is with them even if he's like i don't want them around even if he's like i don't like them he is still engaging on their level without even realizing it and I think there's also something just so poetic about the way that the first time he actually stands up for them, it's not because, like, he is like, oh, my God, suddenly I really want to take care of these girls because I'm turning good now. It's like, he was indignant. He's like, this, this like, fucking pimply-faced jerkwad of a teenage uh, amusement park stand worker is being a dick and unfair and, like, lied to us about the unicorn and, you know, like weird that you know this villain hasn't such a strong innate concept of fairness but it's it's not for their sake it's because it's like what that's fucking awful that's no you can't do that i'm gonna show you i'm gonna put you in your place but then he realizes that he likes being nice to these girls i'm really like i'm very much suffused in like my emotions you know about in 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 my uh review of this movie it just hit so many like very very earnest and very like real emotional beats 
It's a good one. How, how did you manage to steal my favorite scene? That was the, yeah. the one, the unicorn scene. Was my, you, you didn't even start with that, and then you ended up flowing into it. Okay, well. I'm all over the place. I'm real sorry. <laughs> that is my favorite scene, and, and you, you highlighted exactly for, for that moment where, you know, it hits the thing, and it doesn't go down, but it very clearly hit, and he's like, he, it grew was basically like that's bullshit. You clearly, I clearly saw it with my own eyes. What are you talking about? And then the the dude who, by the way, is like probably should be listed in the list of villains in this movie. Yeah, the he real is, villain. He of is this an movie. asshole. Like he is like I didn't see it go down, so that means you gotta give me more money. And then Gru's and like, like, okay, like, it's first of all, like he would definitely be fired if he spoke that way to a customer at any business in the real world. And second of all, he's not just a dick to Gru; he's also a dick to Agnes. Yeah, yeah, like it's, true evil. Not just, even Gru's yeah, that evil. Just being a dick for the sake of being a dick. But I, it's very satisfying to you know see him blow the thing to smithereens and. You know, I wish he killed the guy too, but this is a kid's movie after all. I can't show that on screen. Um, I would, <laughs> I would also probably say that Gru is my favorite character, and I think that a lot of that comes through. I'm, I'm gonna again highlight the animation. I'm not purposely trying to take that angle, but the way they animate Gru's kind of like uh, hesitance every time he has to come to uh, a situation, especially you know when the like, "Hey, you got to get rid of these kids," and he's like. Yeah, like, he says yes, but his face is telling you no, and it's very clear. And, like, that that's, like, a pretty, you know, baseline example of this. But every time he kind of, you know, he's, you know, arguing with the kids, and he's like, you have to get in the car, I'm going to count to three, and the kids are like, no, fuck you. And he, you can see the frustration building in his voice, but the way, like, he, he doesn't get mad at them. Like, he, he, he doesn't at any point get mad at the kids for disobeying him. He, as Iris mentioned, you know, he's kind of engaging the kids at their level, trying to, you know, have a back and forth with them and essentially reason with them to work with him as he tries to, you know, steal the shrink ray and shrink the moon. Like, I think that that's very well constructed overall throughout the, the, the course of this movie. And I think that the way, you know, obviously props to Steve Carell for his, you know, very, you know, kind of suspect Eastern European accent in his performance. <laughs> but um, the way he can... He is a very good actor, and he can con- convey those emotions, uh, uh, you know, through his voice. And the animation team matches that with the way that they contort his face and have him truly look like he's, you know, undergoing serious emotional, you know, stress almost when he has to make these decisions about the kids and decide whether or not he really, you know, feels like this is more worthwhile than him being a supervillain. And the other thing about it is that it, it, the way it all reads from minute one is not so much like malice or or you know like I, I don't know aggression towards them it's not like he's mad at them for like being around and disturbing him it's discomfort it's he's out of his depth he doesn't know what to do with them and he sort of like just gut reaction is like okay well i should want them gone because i'm a villain right but all the moms in that dance rehearsal they saw right through that yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I I really like Gru's entire character arc uh, and how he like slowly warms up to the girls. Uh, And I I forget who mentioned this. Maybe Iris said that like it's weird for Gru to have uh, this sense of fairness. But I'd say it is. It's not that strange because he's kind of like on the receiving ends of like some of the bad things in his supervillain life. He's kind of like a washed up supervillain. He hasn't gotten a big success in a long time. He's only stolen the replica um 
uh, monuments of, what was it, Eiffel Tower and Statue of Liberty. And so it does make sense that he he wants to stick up for these girls, uh, like, to, to be on their side, eventually realizing it in himself. But I also really like how they had his sort of internal conflict between being a caretaker for these girls, being a father figure for these girls, and also pursuing his own dream of getting the moon, of stealing the moon, or at least landing on the moon. Because there are these moments when he has these flashbacks with his mother. Also, hilarious. Yes, yes, yes. You hit exactly on what mm. I was going to talk about you next. You also hit exactly on what I was yeah, going yeah. to talk about next. No, I mean, the flashbacks are such a good way of showing that internal struggle where he's balancing these dreams that he's held on for his entire life with uh, with taking care of these kids. And, I mean, there are ramifications of it. I mean, he misses the the dance recital to follow his dream of getting the moon and so i really like that sort of internal struggle that happens on screen i think it's one of the best parts of this film if i may i don't know why i just thought of this analogy Uh oh this movie is if dr horrible's sing-along vlog had a happy ending (laughs) oh Hmm. Are we back to hot take, Michael? Now is that, that's a, that's a <laughs> no, 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 no. You know what it is? This movie is if Doctor Doofenshmirtz were the main character. Oh, <laughs> that's also a good one, actually. Hmm. Is Perry the platypus vector? Is that? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, but this is this is an alternate reality where uh, Phineas actually is Doofenshmirtz's kid. Oh, oh god, got that's a um, oh yeah, that was a big theory for a long time. Oh, there's a whole we're not talking about Phineas and Ferb right now we might get to it someday um another another little moment uh well first of all with the the flashbacks I think they were so well done because they were very not subtle but light it was a light touch you know it was quickly in and quickly out the use of the transitions you know the, the 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 not smash cuts per se because um but the 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 I don't know, instant transitions, the frame transitions, but grew young grew and old grew are like in the same pose or with the same expression and the face in the same spot. Right. Um, a lot of the time they felt really unintrusive is I guess what I'm getting at. You know, it didn't feel like the entire narrative was like halted to be like, we're going to go on a five minute long delve into this traumatic experience. It was short. It was quick. They came in and they left without a whole lot of muss and fuss. They took like, 5, 10, 15 seconds, and they provided just that critical, critical bit of context for us. I mean, we never, I don't think there was a single word that grew in the present said about his childhood or why he was doing any of this. But just like showing that little brief snippet of his thoughts just felt like just the, the light touch was perfect. I don't know why, but my brain just made the connection that it, it kind of reminds me of the Ratatouille. God damn it, you with... stop! <laughs> 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 oh, I, I can't have a fucking thought. original thought on this <laughs> goddamn podcast! What was his name again? Do you uh, remember Ego, his name? Antoine Ego. Ego, thank you, thank you. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, I don't know why, it like it, it literally just put in my brain like, yeah, that's that thing. <laughs> I was, well, yeah, I mean, I think the ego flashback in Ratatouille is, like, both more critical to the narrative and also, like, much more emphasized, but that's because that's what it needs there. Yeah. Um, I just... I, I also, just... he has a big nose. 
Oh my god. Uh, that's that's true. Also, this kind of goes against what I said earlier, because that's also a movie that has kind of exaggerated. I was just about to say, like we glossed yeah. over that earlier. I, I completely disagree with that, that animation hasn't done like ridiculous proportions. Right, that's fuck what I you, think. Iris. You didn't have to completely disagree with my shit. <laughs> I mean, we there was a lot of other stuff you said then that was more important to like address, but I just want to put out there that I think that, that comment is completely off base. Okay. And I think you can go back in animation decades and find people with exaggerated proportions. It's just this stands out to you because but, it's one of the but, earlier what examples three, of three-dimensional. Yeah, three just because uh, it's in a new yeah. medium doesn't mean it's a brand new idea. But I'm, I'm speaking on, on parti- I mean, we're, t- we're spending too much time on this, but I am speaking <laughs> particularly on 3D animation of Disney and Pixar at the time, which is Illumination's primary what so like are we are we to then praise Toy Story for having the let's revolutionary just go ahead concept and, uh, of let's, let's having a character it. in it because no animated fully three D animated movie had ever had a oh. character in it before? Things, things are getting heated on the couch. That's just gaslighting. <laughs> that, I literally okay, didn't see, say that. That's just gaslighting. I'm on Mark's side. I don't know why. I don't even know what you're saying, guys. This has nothing I'm to saying, do with it. I'm saying that we should move on. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I, I, I was going to point out, and this is um, sort of rewinding a little bit back to, you know, the topic of Gru, like, really operating on the kids level, like, you know, the whole thing with, like, driving them to dance with that never occurred to him to just let them walk. You know, someone was going to win, and I guess it couldn't be him, so they must, you know, win, right? He's operating on their plane. The thing I really loved, this one moment that I think really cemented, like, Gru as a good guy in my book, because he didn't have the idea to give it to the girls. He, like never chose to he sort of didn't say no when nefario like pushed it on him there were plenty of opportunities for him to be like no actually i'm not going to do this and he didn't take them and that was a mistake right it wasn't his idea is the, is the critical distinction you know he went along with it which is a a, a different and you know arguably lesser i'm not going to get into the semantics of like comparing levels of badness you know for for things like that when they are on the two ships and he's rescuing the girls and Margot is the last one left and she's hesitant to jump. And she says to Gru, you gave us up. He doesn't say, I didn't mean to. He doesn't say it wasn't my idea. He doesn't say I never wanted to. He says, I know. And it was the biggest mistake I've ever made. He owns the fuck up to it. He owns it, honestly, arguably, slightly more than he even needed to. Like, than is even fair. Like, he doesn't even, he doesn't even make a distinction. He owns the fuck up to it and lets her know that it was a mistake. And if that's not one of the, like, most emotionally healthy things that any character in, like, any kid's movie has ever done, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, it's really important to... To point out that distinction of how they frame the mistake. You know, the mistake is not him willingly giving up the kids. The mistake is not stopping Nefario from going through and giving up the kids. And I think that, like, that that puts that, you know, further builds into Gru's kind of character as this 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 person that's essentially tortured between what he, you know, has found that he really loves to do and what he kind of devoted his entire life to doing and how he has to juggle between those two. And I think that, yeah, I not too much to add to what Iris said. You know, that final scene with Margot on the ship is kind of that that admittance that while he knows that he didn't make that mistake, he has to hone up for for the sake of the kids, for the for, for Margot to understand that, hey, I actually do care about you and I want you to be my, my children and stuff. 
Exactly. And I think it's important that, you know, the actual, the narrative itself frames it, you know, the way that it does, that he didn't actively do it, but that he also didn't stop it from happening. But that he, you know, as the character, you know, in this conversation, doesn't choose to make that distinction. I think both are important. You know, both feel, you know, both are important for establishing sort of the, how this could happen and still be congruent with everything else. Congruent, ha ha ha. Congruent with everything else that we see of him. Oh, God. I, no, ignore the pun. Engage with the actual point I made. I'm sorry. <laughs> you make it very difficult. <laughs> oh, damn. Damn, that was all right. That was and this was good Iris's point. Good last point. appearance on the couch. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Those are very good points. I guess just you're, like everything I've ever said here is like less important. Your analysis is very, very good, Ari. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I do really like um, that he does eventually make it up to the girls and has their own uh, dance recital in front of his yeah. mom himself. He Dr. brought Furio. his mom. Yeah. And she, I, uh. I, I love that her his mom just like comes over and shows them baby pictures of Gru because the the progression from annoying kids to this newfound family is like it happens really fast, but it also happens really smoothly uh, through that montage scene in the middle of like between the the super fun land, whatever thing. And then uh, the end of that montage sequence, I think it's probably less than five, 10 minutes or so. Uh, and yeah, but it, it still feels natural. And again, this is just talking about how well this progression and Groove's character arc has been constructed in this film. It's really, I think it's really well done. Yeah. And I, I'm going to bring this back to, uh, something we pointed out earlier um we talked about the flashbacks you know i made a point of you know how they are they're lightly you know it's a light touch you know it's not too heavy all the the the, the chaff is sort of cut out i think what you were talking about alex how this progression happens very quickly and yet feels natural is the evidence of that on like a larger scale in this narrative there's very little extraneous stuff and i'm not saying that you know every single thing is strictly advancing the state of events but it feels like a lot of things that, you know, like, for example, it could have been very, very easy for mom to show up and then have a whole scene with her and Gru. It's like, why do you have these kids? Well, they were part of my evil plot. Well, are you, what are you going to do about them? You never wanted kids before. Uh, you know, like, am I their grandmother now? Like, have you been feeding them? You know, are you going to take them back to the orphan? You know, there, there could have been a whole number of just like kind of pointless scenes or kind of pointless, you know, conversations that uh, could have happened there with the mom discovering the kids. It, and it feels, honestly, in some ways, like the sort of scene you would expect a lot of movies of this caliber to write in these days. It feels weird to say these days, you know, this movie's not that old. But, you know, a lot of, like, more recent kids movies to just sort of write in a scene like that that doesn't advance plot or character or be really that entertaining, you know? And who knows, like, it plausibly was not restrained. It's plausibly they just didn't, you know, ever think that that was a scene they wanted to put in there. But it really does feel like every scene brings something valuable to the construction of the story. Yeah, no, definitely. And I I think that does speak to it being Illumination's first film. They couldn't really have the... uh 
the leg room to to make scenes that weren't uh, relevant to the story just because they wanted this to be a smash hit. I guess that could be a little theory, but yeah, I do I do know get what you're saying. Uh, the fact that each scene does bring something specific to it. Uh, and speaking of uh, well, each, uh, each scene, except for maybe the first scene. But yeah, that, that's it's still fair. it's still fun. It's still fun. Yeah, and I mean this entire world has usually when we have these villain stories or hero versus villain stories we're given a hero counterpart uh to this but in this movie and presumably in this world i don't remember if there are heroes quote unquote in despicable me too or if they show up later in despicable me movies but it seems like this is just like a villain conglomeration everybody's a villain um but why don't we talk a little bit about them grew included in this sort of uh, super villain world. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts on Vector, Perkins, and Gru and how they all kind of fit together with one another? I, I know some might think that Vector is a little, a little annoying, but I don't know. What, what do you think he brings to this sort of arrangement? Well, I mean, I think that I'm in that boat that Vector is kind of annoying. But also, I also think that good, because... I think they were like very directly trying to make him annoying. So I think that they succeeded at that. Um, He is, he's annoying in the sense that like, I don't know, like a, like a Reddit troll is annoying. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why that analogy just came up to my head, but like he is, he is, you know, uh, he has no doubts. He literally thinks that he's on top of the world. His dad is uh, Perkins so it's like there's some, you know, stuff going on there. Um, and so you can really get his cockiness, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, and I think that they succeeded in making him ve- Vector specifically, both like annoying, but also like uh, a threat, if that makes any sense. Um, like not necessarily a threat in its dire- in like direct aspects. Right. But, you know, he's always one step ahead of Gru, at least, you know, in the first two thirds. And he knows, like, Gru's weaknesses effectively. Like, you know, he knows how Gru operates and knows that once Gru has, you know, been attached to these girls, that he, like, nefariously goes after the girls and captures them. And so while Vector is sort of, you know, kind of weird in the sense of his methods, like, he has a squid gun, he uses that to grapple onto Gru's ship or whatever. He knows he like he knows what he's doing, um, with all his like fancy tech and like weird Shark Tank thing, um, and at the same time he also blunders right like he didn't he somehow did not hear it all grew panting behind him behind him stealing the trick right <laughs> and so like like Vector and though just the world in general of this sort of like evil organizational type systems with the banks and how they lend money to these villains or whatever. Obviously they don't really go into too much detail, but there's like some implications there. Um, I think it's interesting. And Vector is a good foil for Gru namely because right after the, like, you know, they have the news story at the beginning, like, Oh, what villain did this did stole the pyramids and what will they do next? And then they like, they lit, you know, not knowingly, but they name Gru the hero, like the, he put the moon back. Gru put the moon back or whatever, right? And what will this hero do next? Um, 
And so that kind of follows Gru's character arc of not necessarily, you know, giving up villainy, but transitioning away from villainy for its own sake towards like, you know, doing things that he's doing because of, you know, his family and his own interests rather than just being a villain, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, so moving back to Vector for a second. Well, actually moving moving way back to uh, um, Perkins. Perkins, I think he's just sort of the the stand in for, you know, the faceless, uh, but, you know, malevolent presence of, you know, corporate interests, you know, the 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 wealthy, you know, trampling over people to get more wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, they, they, they literally spell out the joke for you. Right. When he first goes into the evil bank, the sign says formerly Lehman Brothers. Uh which, you know, man, they could not make that joke anymore because uh, no one in the target audience would get it. <laughs> Sag. Sag. <Yep. laughs> um, I, 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 I think Vector works as a villain because we've all met people like Vector. You know, this snotty for its own sake, you know, enjoys being an asshole just to, like, rub your nose in whatever he happens to do like so self-assured with absolutely no justification clearly never had consequences for anything in his life also headcanon i i want to believe that the only reason that vector is so good at like bypassing gru's plots and defenses is because you know perkins gave him like all his information about everything gru ever did with the bank you know if he saw all of gru's blueprints for every you know heist he took out a loan for anyway um we've all known people like that we've all known people who are you know obnoxious and petty and just like kind of repulsive as people you know the fact that it wasn't enough for him to just continually fuck up grew with his traps he had to also do it while like playing his control board like a like a guitar and you know rubbing it all over his ass and <laughs> you know, just strutting around peacocking it's it it's arrogance is the the big thing you know even though he's i mean actually even because he's so incompetent in many ways the fact that he acts like he does and gets away with it for so long just you know makes you want to punch his face in yeah nothing too much more to add except that i'm very surprised jason siegel was able to put on that voice because that is not jason siegel's voice in my head <laughs> especially that's jason siegel that's yep. jason siegel yep every how time many... yeah really i mean every did time you know that says... julie andrews is Gru's mom I, I i literally said that at the beginning of the episode <laughs> <laughs> i literally was the one to bring that up you don't think i could miss julie andrews every time vector says oh yeah i want to like shoot myself it's that annoying <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i mean it's just, oh yeah yeah oh, it's God. terrible um also <laughs> why alex is just like surrounded by <laughs> a bunch of vectors saying oh yeah <laughs> uh i i'm also very why is vector so concerned with marine life just in general why is that like an an, an angle to his character i guess that's the one thing that kind of makes him more unique than literally being a essentially a reddit troll right but that's very weird is there um, something wrong with marine life marcus 
No, I mean, the piranha, like, I, at least we see the squid gun have a legitimate use. Like, it's used to stick to the side of Gru's gun. The piranha gun does nothing except to kind of establish that Vector's an idiot, and also he does these stupid, like, contraptions. So, yeah, I kind of guess uh, that is, like, the one thing about his aesthetic, uh, the, like, iPhone aesthetic that doesn't fit. Because, yeah, that's he, what like, I'm saying. It's, like, it kind of, like, they didn't necessarily need to add that angle to him for him to hold on, be a hold different... Hold on, I have... I have a headcanon, though, may oh, okay. I, if I may. Uh, we're, doing I think a, that all, we're doing a whole lot of, like, impromptu theory. Hey, we're, we're the writer's um, desk this writer's episode. Desks. Yeah. I, well, I think that most of his, like, fancy, fancy equipment is from his dad, right? Or at least funded by his dad. And oh, that's so that's actually. where all the sort of fancy new stuff comes from. And his actual interest is marine life. Right? <laughs> so he's trying to basically be like, oh. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it my way. Oh, wait like, you know, minute. But using all the, you know, yeah. <laughs> is, is Vector this, like, secretly tragic character that's been shoehorned into villainy by his father. <laughs> no! He just oh, no. wanted to be a marine biologist! And, and he, just wanted, oh, no. he just wanted to interact with the fish and the squids and the sharks, but he was thrust into this life of villainy by his father because... The high-powered executive who's not used to hearing no! Exactly. They even I mean, have kind of a scene about this, like, yeah. when, when they're in the room and, like... I handed like, you this opportunity on yeah, a golden exactly. platter yeah. and you wasted yeah. it. <gasps> yep. Oh, Alex, you've just ruined the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I've made it better. You have, you, you have. I, I want to say, I think sort of zooming a little bit out of, like, the actual character motivations and more, like, narrative construction motivations for the marine life weapons. Honestly, I think they did it because the fact that he uses dumb shit like a piranha launcher and yet still gets away with everything he does kind of makes it even more infuriating. The fact yeah. that he's like, oh, yeah, I built the stupidest thing. I am, I am like, unfoundedly confident about that. Piranha Launcher? Oh, yeah. And then actually, like, fucking wins for a while. That's aggravating, you know, especially since we're in Gru's shoes and he sees this total fuck-up, <laughs> this absolute jackass do the dumbest shit and still get rewarded for it gotta grind some teeth <laughs> yeah i do think i t speaking upon the balance between this uh these two kind of sub stories that are going on in despicable me one's the family side of the story one is the villain side of the story uh i do think the family side of course is the stronger uh of those two stories we've we've highlighted those aspects the of them quite a lot uh the villainy side and like his uh, sort of feud with Vector is, of course, the weaker one, just because of how hard hitting the family side of the story is. But yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering if maybe if we saw more tragic. I just can't let go of the <laughs> the fact that we might have stumbled upon this deep lore for Vector. What if we saw some <laughs> deep some more more struggles with Vector to kind of flush him out as a villain some more and show this like deeper, darker side to him. Honestly, quite I love kind how of sad. he starts to death on the moon. Can we just like take a minute to acknowledge the fact that he starts uh, his, to his death? His dad's on the gonna moon. get him back with some kind of <laughs> rocket. Yeah, you see him dancing at the end with the boogie scene. He's having yeah, because time. he was delirious from starving to death on the moon. <laughs> um, if I may, I I agree with you on the aspect of the the villainy of Vector in particular, but I think that the general concept of the family versus villainy when it comes to Gru himself and his 
goings on. Mm-hmm. I think that that is still done really well, yeah. specifically with the interplay between him and Doctor Nefario and the minions with the girls. Right, like it's part of the my favorite moments of these films, other than the one I mentioned, of course, is like when the girls are like having fun with the minions or like. Um, you know, the minions finally come back from their shopping thing and actually get them a unicorn. And Agnes is like, thank you. Um, and that was really sweet. And and then, you know, of course, all the stuff we've been talking about with Dr. Nefario giving away the uh, the girls in lieu of Gru doing it himself. So, like, you're right in the sense that the, the direct antagonism from Vector isn't necessarily as strong as the thing that is actually pulling him away, which is his desire for villainy and family the the those two conflicts whereas vector is this kind of just outside force that is trying to reinforce the villainous side or try and get ahead of it per se i think this is a really insightful and really critical point here because i like obviously you know there are these sort of in many ways separate storylines the struggle for control and dominance over the moon plot over the moon heist with vector and okay these like children are now in my life what do i do about that but you're right michael the central idea the core you know thesis of this movie is about the struggle between two different lives about the struggle in deciding that you want something else more than you thought the 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 thing that you thought you wanted for such a long time you know and to learning to accept that change and really a lot of the moments that we've ended up talking about have been those moments of that interplay. I mean, I'm also glad you mentioned the moment where the minions got the, like, unicorn, air quotes, for uh, Agnes, because that was one that really stuck with me. Um, but the, the, the just the, the way that Gru has all these different forces pulling on him, many of which in, in ways that he didn't foresee. I mean, it really is a, just a very holistic high concepts and it, it it's it's very strongly represented and of course it needs these two separate storylines to sort of exist in their own right to do that but it's it's just like it's so deliciously wrinkled you know of a narrative that's going to be my my metaphor <laughs> yeah and I'll, and I'll just shout out dr nefaro because we haven't really discussed him too much on this episode but him being in this movie as a character is very critical to exactly what iris just mentioned there's you know, the conflict is really kind of more Dr. Nefario versus Vector than it is Gru versus Vector. Like, obviously, Gru and Vector interact a lot, but it's that that's that's the supervillain side of his conflict that, you know, is juxtaposed against the family side. And, you know, Dr. Nefario is a pretty understated character overall, but, like, that's his purpose, and he serves it very well. It is, you know, very nuanced, and having all these different outside forces interacting on Gru and pushing and pulling him in different directions is what makes this movie so satisfying. This is a slight bit of a non sequitur, but this just popped into my head. Gru is to Dr. Nefario as MCU Scott Lang is to Hank Pym. This is going to go over so many of our audiences' heads. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's not even the, an animated fuck, movie. You can't even speak that on this podcast. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> well, animation. Yeah, technically, in, technically. No, also, I can't, Ant- I can't, I can't go back on it. I've said Ant-Man was before. a character in Marvel, whatever the fuck that show what if? was. Yeah. Yes, what, what if? if? Yeah, what if? There what you if? go. There but you go. Hank Pym was not in What If. 
Yeah, he was. was he? No, he was. Oh, no. oh he, he was, was in the yeah, first he one. Been... He was in a different episode <laughs> in a different universe where his daughter died. <laughs> right. The point is, we don't ever actually see Gru do any inventing. Like, he just calls Nefario to make things for him. He does all the, like, running around and using the gadgets and, like, actually being the, in this case, the villain, not the hero. But, you know, he's what? not, in many ways, the driving force of yeah. genius. And with, without Dr. Nefario, we would never get the boogie robots. That's true. I love how he makes boogie robots and then yells at Gru for wasting time. <laughs> and then, oh, and then Gru is like, why are you Why are you so old? Hey, hey Gru, <laughs> Gru really is funny. the manager ma- manager that we all deserve to be running our lives. Because <laughs> Gru needs doesn't... to take a, a sensitivity training about ages. Oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe that. But he does seem like a pretty chill boss. To his yeah, when he's like, we're out of money, he's like, everyone get your resumes together. I know I did. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like real world bosses who are not supervillains don't do that for their employees. <laughs> they don't remember all of their employees' names either. Yeah. Fun, How yeah. does he know that every is honestly, minion's name? That is the most impressive thing that Gru does, is remember every <laughs> single minion somehow. Okay, speaking of the minions, we haven't talked like extensively about them, and I don't think we're going to now. I want to share my brief take on them that I had from earlier, which is that I think the reason they work in this movie and they're charming and funny and then they don't work in any of the other movies is the same thing we were talking about earlier. Light touches. Light touches. They are, like, not the focus. We don't spend, like, five minutes watching them get into minion shenanigans other than the scene in the supermarket. That's the only time. And even that one was just starting to drag on a little bit towards the end. But most of the time, they're just there for a quick throwaway joke. It's not a whole big deal. It's not even always all that emphasized, you know? Little parts where they're just kind of running into each other, you know, on a catwalk in the background. And, you know, like, yes, it's cute and funny and absurd and ridiculous, but it's not the main point of this movie it's just there as an aside to let us breathe and laugh for a second before going back the idea worked so well because it was light and i think in subsequent iterations especially by the time it became its own fucking movie they forgot like what made that work in the first place they forgot what made it charming what made it fresh well i don't think they forgot i think they're you know the, Forgot the in capitalized over, capitalist <laughs> yeah. overlords decided to tip the needle to a different direction. Yeah, unlo- I think the minions are like were created just for that marketability of the oh, fact absolutely. that they can sell toys that look just absolutely. like the, them. The the porgs of this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like they're the reason. I'm really in reference mode today. Yeah, I, I know. We're, yeah. we're hitting all kinds of different. <laughs> I mean, that's at least somewhat relevant. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like you'll you. If you look back to the Shrek marketing of the times, where it was like Shrek Gogurt or whatever, like <laughs> oh god, you just, that's a memory. Oh. Yeah, that's a core memory. Whereas with Minions, it's like they're pre, they're already cute, they're perfect on stickers. I think that's like the <laughs> one of the factors why they've exploded so much in memes and uh, on like decals and things like that. But yeah, it's it's. I think that's a whole other topic for a different different podcast it's, it's like it's it's a cancerous idea you know the idea itself is consuming other ideas and growing at an unsustainable rate they said the word banana once in despicable me one and then it became its own meme like a sub meme unto itself so you guys remember the barbara ann yes like minions singing barbara ann but it's actually banana yeah oh god all right well that'll do it for us folks thank you so much for listening This week's YouTube video that you can watch online is called Rejected by Don Hertzfeld. 
Next week, we are watching Cyberpunk Edge Runners, the Netflix original. So go watch along with us if you'd like to. Uh, and once again, thank you so much to Ben for our intro and outro theme. You can check out his own podcast, Real Beasts, on Spotify. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Bye bye. Thank Goodbye. you. Bye.